the book of Ephesians as we again look at the first chapter. And um, we are going to look down through uh, probably um, about verse 6 or 7, depending upon the time. You know, when, when Tim Hoke was here last, he'll be back, I think, in December. I think he's coming back through in December. He shared with me, as I've been reading through Colossians, just the, the richness of the opening chapter of Colossians with his Christological uh, praises, which is certainly true. Galatians, uh, I mean, Ephesians, likewise, is a book that is so rich in depth uh, and uh, the marvel of our own redemption in Christ Jesus being that which is all of God's grace and all of God's working. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word this morning as we look at Ephesians and the first chapter and read down, we'll read down through verse 6. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Would you please uh, pray uh, for me and pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's word uh, this morning uh, that he would bless it to us. Let's pray. Holy Father, almighty God, we pray that you would hear us, not because of any good that's in us. We recognize that uh, Uh, The best that we could bring before you is unacceptable. The best that we could bring before you, indeed, we are told in the Scriptures, is a pile of filthy, bloody rags. But, O God, we come uh, pleading your mercies and pleading your grace. May we recognize that we are a broken people. May we recognize that we are not full of righteousness, that we are not full of hearts that are delighting in obedience, our God. So often we are prone to go our own way and to do our own thing and to be rather self-centered and selfish. We ask you, O God, to help us see our desperate need for your grace to us in Jesus Christ. We pray, our God, that you would bless me as I preach this morning. May I have the help of your spirit. May the congregation here keep their minds from drifting here and there. Keep their minds from being preoccupied with the things that in fact, in actuality, are just not important in the light of eternity, in light of the gospel. Here as we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you have children, 
And then you know that before that child is ever born, you have an affection for that little one. You have a love for that child. And uh, as uh, time moves forward and you move on close to the day of the birth of that baby, there is a great excitement. And when you actually get to see that child and hold that child, there is a, a deep, deep affection already in place for that little one. And as time goes on, then you fall more and more in love with that baby until the time comes when one of you says to the other, it's your time to get up now. I did it last night. So the labors of raising a child comes in, but you still love them. You just recognize that there's a certain uh, uh, requirement uh, that you lose sleep when you bring home that baby. And absolutely what a precious, wonderful time to hear that child express faith in Christ. There's nothing like it. And then to see them not perfectly grow. They don't, there's no perfection in this life. But to see them express true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed a great, great blessing. And we love them from that moment until we or they are in glory. The text this morning, and don't let this just be another exercise in hearing a sermon. Hear the scriptures, be instructed by the word of God of these great truths that are being presented here in this text. I know you're familiar with it. I know that you know it. I know you've heard it all of your life. What difference does it make? It should make all the difference in the world. As we see these texts, as we come to reflect upon these texts recorded for us here in the scriptures. When you think about God's love for you. Here's a question. How confident are you that God loves you? How confident are you? What does it take for you to have confidence in the love of God? Is it the providence? Well, certainly he blesses us in wonderful ways. Uh, Is it uh, uh, some special uh, dispensation of expressions of love for you that uh, perhaps you enjoy that others don't? Well... The way that we know God loves us particularly is through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And the marvel of it is, according to what we read here in the text, that love was entirely unmerited because he loved us before we were ever born. He loved us before time began. In eternity past, he loved us. This morning, we deal with a doctrine in the church that is called the doctrine of election. It's not a Presbyterian doctrine. It's a biblical doctrine. I want to read uh, two quotes to you from a man by the name of William Pitt Chambers, his Melinda's great-grandfather. The first was Sunday, 27th. I attended preaching at the Presbyterian Church. Mr. Rutherford preached from Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. I am ashamed to say that I slept most of the time. Even back then, people had trouble staying awake in services. October 15th. 
I have attended preaching nearly every night of late. Mr. Rutherford is generally the preacher. He is preaching in the Baptist meeting house. His sermons are full of the fat of the gospel and are calculated to build up the Lord's little ones as well as to awaken sinners. I was much interested in two sermons, one on predestination and one on free agency. You can hear the language of Robert Dabney in this. He must have studied under Professor Dabney. Because uh, Dabney, in his uh, systematic theology, talks about not free will but free agency, that we are free agents. We choose to do what we do. We are not forced into it. Uh, our nature is bound by our own sin, but we are free agents, and we do exactly what we choose to do. This doctrine of predestination, which Melinda's great-grandfather, William Pitt Chambers, found interesting as many as well as many people do today. We saw last week uh, that, uh, that the grace of God is seen in the establishment of the church. And that is, uh, the church has existence all because of God's working. God determined to save a people. God determined to raise men up to preach the gospel. Uh, and it is not the result of the imaginations of individuals, and not like uh, the atheist Karl Marx, who said religion was the opium of the people because people by nature are afraid. Uh, and the times past, people were afraid of storms, and people were afraid of wind, and people were afraid of this, and people were afraid of that. Therefore, they created this God who's supposed to be sovereign, who's supposed to be loving, who's supposed to be good and kind. That was Karl Marx's idea of where God came from. And he says religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world and the soul of soulless conditions, the opium of the people, a false hope fostered by false ideas, according to Karl Marx. Karl Marx, unless he repented, has found he was terribly, terribly wrong in his ideas about God. If there had been no Jesus, if there had been no Christ to come into the world, if there had been no sacrifice upon the cross of Calvary, no fulfillment of Old Testament Scripture, no resurrection of the dead, then we would certainly have cause to abandon Christianity. But you see, there was the birth of Jesus according to the prophecies of old. There was the resurrection of the dead according to the prophecies of old. And the church exists today. It is God who's caused it to be. God who brought it into being. God and God alone. So it is God's grace that the church is. As Paul says, he was called by God. He was equipped by God to preach the gospel. And so it is all of God's working that the church exists today. And it's all of God's working that at Southwest Presbyterian Church we are here today. But he goes on beyond that, and here in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And certainly, uh, we recognize that it's proper to express grace to people from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You notice here the use of the Trinity. That it is God the Father who chose the people, God the Son who died for those people, God the Holy Spirit who applied the work of Christ to the lives of those people. And so from beginning to middle to end, it is that grace is to be expressed to us and peace expressed to us from the great God of grace and the great God of peace. 
who is the giver of life and who is the giver of love and who is the giver of kindness and the forgiveness of our own sins. Blessings, he says here, how fitting it is. And you understand, we go back to verse 1 where it says, to the faithful in Jesus Christ. Well, it is the faithful in Christ that we can say to them, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And here is a question that we may consider, and that is this. Is your life one that is characterized by peace? Not is your life characterized by easy days and easy times, but is your life characterized by peace? You know, one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Do you have peace in your life? Or is your life lived rather haphazardly? Is your life lived in fear and doubt and, and consternation constantly? Well, it is that as we times in our lives we fail to trust in our God of peace that we lack peace. Peace, he says here, to people whose lives should be characterized by peace, people who are known and loved by a loving and great God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's another question. And what are the greatest blessings you've had in your life? As you look back over your life, what are the greatest blessings you've enjoyed? A good wife. Well, that's a good thing. It says in the Scriptures that he who finds a good wife finds a good thing. Got to have a job. Right? Got to work. Well, used to have to work. Don't have to anymore. You're supposed to work. Maybe the job you got, maybe the place God has placed you and where you live your life. All of these blessings that are ours by God's working in our lives are great and enjoyable things, are they not? But notice what Paul says here in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There is a marked difference in the blessings that are temporal and the blessings that are eternal. Now, we enjoy temporal blessings, do we not? Now, we ask God to give us temporal blessings, and there's nothing wrong with that. We enjoy those things that are a part of this world, that are a part of our living this life. We enjoy those things. You enjoy your home. Uh, it is a blessing that is a gift from God. You enjoy your car. It is a blessing. It is a gift from God. I was reading one of the Psalms the other morning. I cannot remember which one it was. Somewhere around 90, but it wasn't Psalm 90. And what's fascinating about that Psalm is he cites the physical things of the world. And he attributes every one of them as having come to him from God himself. And so the psalmist understands there the sovereignty of God, the blessings of God, that the things that we enjoy day by day are things that God gives to us. And so the appropriate response then to recognizing that is praise to God. Well, he not only has blessed us with the temporal things that we enjoy day in and day out, he has blessed us with spiritual blessings that are ours through Christ Jesus. Now, what are those spiritual blessings that we enjoy through Christ Jesus? Well, there's a forgiveness of sins. What a wonder. Think about this. Has anyone ever done something to you and you just cannot get over it? You say you forgive them. You say... It's past, but it really isn't. 
for you. You just can't get beyond it. You can't get it out of your system. And when you think about them, there's a certain, um, a certain anger that kind of flares up inside of you, a certain disdain for them. And if you hear they're struggling or suffering, you kind of smile and delight in hearing that because what they did to you is so reprehensible, you just cannot get beyond it. Think about this. You have offended God at times severely. He does not hold it against you at all. We read in the Psalms, as far as the east is from the west, you've heard that before, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, the forgiveness of our sins. And God doesn't say to us, and we come to him in prayer, come back in a week or two and I'll have my final decision on whether or not to forgive you. It's not what God does to us. We do that to people. We may say, come back in 50 years and I'll decide whether or not to forgive you. God doesn't do that. Spiritual blessings that we enjoy in the Lord Jesus Christ that God has given to us, their forgiveness of sins. The blessings that are spiritual also are everlasting. They never go away. The best of the blessings that we will enjoy are yet to be experienced in our life. Imagine the sound of the trumpet blast. Imagine the heavens being torn open. Imagine the angels going out and gathering the elect of God and the graves opening up and coming together as a vast army standing before our God and praising him. That's what the Bible says is going to happen. That's what's waiting for us. Spiritual blessings that God has given to us. And you remember Christ in commenting on this in the book of Matthew says, uh, let your treasure be those things that are heavenly. Let your treasure be those things that uh, are in heaven where there are neither thief break in or moth um, you know, destroy and, uh, and mildew and mold and so forth. When I was a, a, a young boy, I think it was in fourth grade, I went and sang uh, Good King Wenceslas. Y'all know that song? Anybody know Good King Wenceslas? Looked out on the feast of a few of you know it. Anyway. I was asked to go sing this song, and I was given a scarf as a present, a little scarf, and I lost it. Couldn't find it. It was in a box. Looked for it, looked for it, looked for it. When I was in high school, I found it, and it was ruined. It had holes in it. Moths had eaten through it, whatever. It was absolutely ruined. I wish I had not found it, <laughs> but, I, but I did. Well, that's the thing that happens to our treasures here on earth. They ruin, they spoil. And you know what it is to get a new car, and you're just so happy about it. You won't let people eat it. You won't let people hardly breathe in it. And then in a few years, it gets banged all up, and you don't care if they eat it. You don't care what happens to it so much anymore. Because time and age have taken away the beauty and the glitter of it. Well, the treasures that God has for us are everlasting. They're spiritual blessings. They do not come to an end. And they are given to us by God's kindness and grace. They are gifts from God to us. Does it kind of move you as you think about God is so personal to us? 
He is so personal with us that he gives us gifts to enjoy and the greater gifts to be enjoyed throughout all eternity. Again, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. They do not ruin. They do not spoil. They do not become less enjoyable. And we can't begin to comprehend, I think, the greatness of the blessings that are going to be ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. And these blessings that we enjoy are all because of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here it is even as he chose us in him. There's that doctrine of election, even as he chose us in him. What a great blessing. Sometimes when people live their Christian lives, uh, they seem to be, in some fashion or another, seeking to woo God. Uh, to bless them more deeply, uh, to woo God, to uh, to make it more confident in their own thinking that they are going to heaven. We can't do that. Our place in heaven is established by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, as God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. It is not the invention of John Calvin. They call these doctrines Calvinism, in part because of the five points of Calvinism, which were an answer to the remonstrants who basically denied uh, 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 Calvinistic doctrine. And so it is the five points of Calvinism were put together as a reaction to that. But Calvinism is in nothing more than an accurate understanding of what the Bible teaches, invented by John Calvin. You cannot read the Bible honestly and come away with the idea that I chose God. Can't do it. I heard when I was growing up, you may have heard this too, that God cast a vote for you, Satan cast a vote against you, and it's up to you to cast the final deciding vote. Well, If it was up to us to cast the final and deciding vote, we would always cast the wrong way. And because we read in the scriptures that our hearts are not simply desperately sick, that rather they are dead in their sins and trespasses. And so this business of Calvinism is a doctrine that scripture teaches us. And to understand it properly, Calvinism are this foreknowledge or this choosing in eternity past before the foundation of the world means simply this, that God, out of his good pleasure, chose people out of the mass of fallen humanity that they were going to be his. Why did he do that? I don't know. I have no idea, except he loved us. He chose to do so because he loved us and to bring glory to himself, only that and nothing more. Uh, Jeremiah thirty-one three. The Lord appeared to him from afar, saying, "I have loved you with an everlasting love; therefore, I have drawn you to myself in loving kindness." This is just what Charles read this morning from the book of Deuteronomy. That what we see taking place in the lives of the people of Israel was a picture of the doctrine of election, where God chose the people of Israel, not because they were greater in number. 
not because of their strength of their armies and so forth. He chose them because, as it says there in the text, because he loved them. Well, you're sitting here as a member of the church this morning because God loved you. And only because God loves you. But what a great blessing. And we praise him for that. Some misunderstandings of the doctrine of election is this. That you've got someone who desperately wants to be a believer. They desperately want to come to Christ. And God says, no. He puts his hand out and says, no. No, you can't be one of mine because I did not choose you from eternity past. That's not the way it works. If someone's heart is apart from Christ Jesus, there is no desire to come to Jesus. There's a desire not to go to hell, if they're at least theist. There's a desire to go to paradise, perhaps, and spend eternity, uh, you know, eating fruit off of trees and uh, uh, having no disease and all that kind of thing. But there is no desire for God's means of redemption through Jesus Christ unless there is the application of grace. And so that when someone rejects the gospel, they do so because they choose to do so. That's that use of free agency here. That God does not force us to do anything that we do not want to do. But so we come to faith in Christ, that grace is applied to us. And he changes our affections, and he changes our mind, and he draws us to himself. And so there is there, in that case, an affection for the Lord Jesus. And so we come gladly. We come happily. We come joyfully to embrace our Savior. What, what a great and loving God we have even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Paul echoes it in Romans chapter 9, before either one of the children were born, in order that the doctrine of election may stand, the older will serve the younger. These are great, wonderful doctrines of grace. What is our responsibility? even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Oh, there it is. That business of obedience. That we should be holy and blameless before him. Our justification is, uh, by faith, is a declaration on the part of God that we are not guilty. That's justification. Justification by faith, not by works, but by faith. And we come to embrace Jesus Christ, and God declares us not guilty. That's justification. An act of God whereby he declares us not guilty only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Well, that's not nearly the rest of the story. When we come to faith, that's the beginning of the story, if you will. Because now our ideas and our passions and our goals in life are set by the Scriptures. And so he says here again in the text, he chose us in order that we should be holy and blameless before him. That we are to practice righteousness and holiness. 
what does it say in the scriptures, Second Peter 1, uh, 21, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling. I want to read that to you from Second Peter and uh, chapter 1. Listen to this. In Paul, uh, Peter's address to the early church. Starting in verse 3, his divine power has been granted to us, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellency, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having it not that we become God, but we become righteous, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. For this very reason, listen to this, make every effort to, suppl- to supplement your faith by, with virtue. And this is something that we have to do. It takes work on our part to do these things. It takes effort on our part to do these things. If you play football, it takes effort to get off the bench and get in the game and play. It takes being at practice. It takes exercise. And it takes the willingness to be hit and to get up again off the ground and go back and do it all over again. So as we are believers, again, he says this, uh, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. These are things that we must do if we are going to be faithful to Christ. And this doesn't just happen. These things don't just happen. It takes work, it takes exercise, it takes effort on the part of our part. Again, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. So God has chosen us to be holy and righteous before him. Not to sit in the pew and glide into heaven, but to be willing to work and to labor because God would have us to be a holy people would have us to be a people that live a life pleasing to him. And the last thing is that we not only are saved and justified, we are not only called to live a life that's pleasing to him, we also are brought into the family of God, that great doctrine of adoption. Now, I've quoted this before. Eyes not seen, ears not heard. What great things God has for those in store for him who love him. As believers, we need to always remember that God is a perfect father. My daddy made mistakes in raising me. Not many. He was a good father. He's a very good father. Very loving. I've made mistakes and raised my own children. Things I wish I'd never said or done, you can't take them back. I'm not a perfect father. God is a perfect father. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't bring something into our life and the next day say, I'm sorry, I'd made a mistake when I did that. When I made this decision, I was wrong. I apologize for that. 
He's perfect. And it says in the catechism that we have a right to all the privileges of the children of God. Imagine uh, in your own life if you wanted something from your parent that was something very good. Something that you needed. Not like, Daddy, can I borrow the car? It's more like, may I have something to drink? I'm very thirsty and hot. May I have some water? And what does that parent do? That parent gladly gives it to you. God gladly gives us the good things that we need. And so don't be afraid to ask. What is one thing that we know God would desire for us? Well, one thing that we know God would desire for us is to be like Christ. And you know, if you pray this, Lord, help me to be more like Jesus. And you don't change ungodly behavior. You don't change ungodly attitudes. That prayer is not honest. When you pray, Lord God, help me to know your presence and peace, then live in such a way as God is pleased with you. When you're suffering and you are involved in the midst of suffering with someone else and you ask God to make them well, it has to be coupled with this. Yet, O Lord, not what I will, but your will be done and give me peace to deal with it. We haven't really begun to scratch the depth of the surface of God's love and affection for us as his people. It goes beyond what we can think, beyond what we can imagine. And yet the wonder of it is, as according to what Paul writes here in the book of Ephesians, is that we did nothing to merit it. Everything to bring dishonor and wrath, but nothing to merit it. It was all God's choosing, all God's decision, all God's good pleasure being motivated out of his love for us. He predestined us to adoption for himself through Christ Jesus according to the purpose of his will. What's the response to that? It's praise, is it not? It's praise and adoration. There is a hell. There are people there today who wish they weren't. Christ's works, we don't have to be concerned with going there. As a believer, you should have confidence you're going to be with Christ in glory. You should have that confidence. As you look again and again, not to your failings even, but to the completion of success of obedience and grace in Christ Jesus. Do you love him? If you don't, I would encourage you to come to embrace these truths that Paul speaks of here in Ephesians, the first chapter, because God's love is an everlasting love, not one that's merited, and it's open to all who come to him in faith. Let's pray.